0: There are members of the congregation here who are newer, who, who might not have known um, the Felix and the Yarbrough family who have been such an important part of this community, uh, this church community. And so let's all uh, remember that. And, and of course, Dale's contribution. Dale is gonna be uh, leading off and um, is gonna talk about the past of the farm. Some some people we, we perhaps have not remembered um, Uh, and be reminded of. So without further ado, here's
1: Anna-Kate. Good morning, thank you so much for joining us today for the third part of our series on the mission of the Children's Fresh Air Farm. My name is Anna-Kate Donovan and I'm honored to be the History Chair of the Centennial Committee. There are many activities planned for the centennial year. Renovation of the garden was completed this past November. Our other large project is the construction of a new pool house to replace the outdated structure from the 50s. The plan is to have the new building completed in time for summer activities, and we are in the middle of a campaign to raise $600,000 for this project. There are brochures at the table in the back of the room with more information. We also have beautiful roundels featuring designs from our stained glass windows available for purchase. We will round out the year with a centennial celebration weekend of events at the farm, October 28th and 29th, and we hope you all will join us. From 1977 until his retirement in 2001, my father, Felix Yarborough was director of community ministries here at IPC. One of his major responsibilities was to oversee the Fresh Air Farm. As with many things my father was involved in, we all became involved. (laughs) We volunteered throughout the year during clinics, garden planting, cleanup days, Christmas box distribution. My brothers Chris and Jonathan and my sister-in-law Alicia were all on staff for many, many years. While never on the staff myself, I spent many hours at the farm running amok each summer. helping out where I could, being a true annoyance the rest of the time. (laughs) Looking back, I realized that my times at camp were full of lessons in psychology, sociology, and human development. There is no doubt that the farm is a magical place, a thin place, a secret garden behind a wall of privet. The children know they are part of something special as soon as they pass through the stone gate. Socioeconomic status and skin color become insignificant. Staff and campers alike thrive in this safe space. Many campers come from loving, supportive homes, but many do not. The children from difficult situations really blossom. In those days of overnight camp, I met children on the elevator at the check-in clinics who were too timid and afraid to say their own names aloud. They were terrified of the doctor and always asked how many needles (laughs) am I going to face today? The answer was always none, and those of you who who were here last week met Bob Castleberry and he always put them at ease. By the end of the 18-day session, These same children left camp with an armload of friends, full bellies, mostly of homemade yeast rolls, and a staff of adults on whom they could rely. Counselors who arrived lost, left fulfilled. Their transformations were tangible. Letters and messages arrive at the church and farm regularly, full of testimony and gratitude from campers and counselors alike. That alone is reason for us to celebrate hundred years and strive for at least hundred more. Dale Head spent four summers as a counselor and camp secretary in the 1960s. She returned to IPC in 1978. I, I didn't do any math. She, she returned to IPC in the 1978, in 1978 as the assistant director of community ministries. Over the next 34 years, she guided the summer program at the farm. Lucky for us, she has agreed to join us today and share some of her experiences. Dale.
2: If you do the math, you can figure out I've been associated with the Fresh Air Farm for more than half of its years. Yes, it does make me feel old, and then I, uh, I, I'm i going to talk a little bit about Miss Martha Robinson. but I have to say, Martha Robinson took the job as director of the Fresh Air Farm in 1951, at the age of 51. She retired in 1976. I retired a lot younger than that, <laughs> and I don't think I would have made it to 76, because that's my age today. <laughs> but I... I bridged the gap between two pretty special people. One was Miss Martha Robinson, and she was absolutely remarkable. She was the camp director from 1951 to 1976. And I look around and there are a lot of people sitting here who could comment about Miss Martha because they worked for them and they had a special contact with them. And she was, you may have taken a look at her and said, hmm, little old lady. She dressed appropriately in the summertime. She had her Bermuda shorts and what we lovingly referred to as her mer-boots. She wore little old lady lace-up shoes. And um, if you thought you could get away with something, she knew everything. She had eyes on every inch of that property. And the only other one I knew who quite matched up to that was the lady who will speak last? <laughs> because nothing got by her either. She was not Miss Martha, but she was certainly had a lot of those qualities. When I came to the Fresh Air Farm in 1967, I had had my arm twisted to apply for a summer job. I met Miss Martha in my first interview, and uh, she she was you know, very professional, very businesslike. I quickly learned that when you when you drove through the gates at the Fresh Air Farm, you did enter a different world. You were um, it, it was you weren't aware of things going on. I remember those summers you just got so tied up in the summer routine, the camp routine, and even if you were a counselor with without a group of children you were directly responsible for, such as being the camp secretary, you were still expected to participate in everything. And uh, one of the camp secretary jobs was to ring the bell. And at the time it was not electronic, it was a bell that was on on the porch right outside the secretary's office. And um, the wake up bell was my hardest one. There were many mornings when I was awakened by a tap on my shoulder. (laughs) Miss Dale, are, are we uh, awaking later today? <laughs> and I would be up and dressed, and, and I was not in the big house. I was in one of the cabins. So uh, first thing was calisthenics, and you were expected to be on the playground, and Miss Martha Robinson was on the back row participating also. So she she was absolutely remarkable. During her years there, she basically worked with volunteers. There were the women of the church through the service band who did all, a lot of the work, most of the work of the Fresh Air Farm. She, of course, Miss Martha was um, a social worker. She knew all the families, she met with all the families. She was the daughter of a Presbyterian minister and grew didn't grow up, but he was a minister at, was it Roebuck? What was the name? Five Mile Presbyterian Church in Roebuck, which has just within the last year, I think, transferred property. Is that correct? They
3: are closing after Easter.
2: After Easter. But um, Miss Martha, even with with her clerical needs as a director and her communications, she relied on volunteers. And all of that came through women who were active in what was called the service band. They did the setup of the camp, they did the um, Christmas boxes, and many people will remember one of their fundraisers was the Silver Tea, and the Silver Tea took place the first Tuesday in October, excuse me, in November, and it was quite an event and did raise a good bit of money. You know, the camp, it's mentioned what an impact it had on the children who attended, but I think all of us who worked there realized it had a great impact on us. And um, it's hard to explain what it was like in the 60s in a way, but you did know that when you drove through the gates, you were in a different world. There were two phone lines that went into the Fresh Air Farm. One was the office line. If you were a staff member and received a call, you were expected to return that call on the staff line upstairs. (laughs) And um, But there was leeway with that, too. We just were not aware of what was going on in the greater world. I remember one summer, my third summer there, I had gone to run an errand and I did have my radio on in the car and realized there was a huge hurricane coming directly to New Orleans where my parents and my younger sister were en route to, and I didn't, I had, no clue that that was even coming about. That's how isolated or just kind of cocooned we were. It, it, it was a, a good feeling in many ways. Miss Martha, of course, did have an impact on all of us. She knew all of those children, and in those days, in the certainly in the 60s and into the 70s, there were three camp sessions, and we had at least a week of staff training, and from that, you know, once the children came. You were just in that world. That was your world and we would be kept busy all the time and when the camp, when that session ended, it was really, <laughs> there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of tears by the staff, there were a lot of tears with the children. Some of them, you know, were, were aging out, would not be coming back and we had two days between the end of one camp session <laughs> to, to the second one and we got it together, welcomed another group. That camp went, went fine with a lot of excitement. And again, camp came to an end and you cried and you moved on because you had a third group coming in a few days. <laughs> that, that was just the way it was. I worked at the staff in 1967 and 68 as a camp uh, secretary. In 1969, I took, was hired as the summer program director. It was a busy summer, but after that summer, I really thought I had gotten it out of my system. I didn't need to go back to the Fresh Air Farm. <laughs> um, this, is, this is the story that Bob Castleberry alluded to. The summer of 1970, the Arbors moved here in the summer of 69, late summer. So Felix initially was the youth director and community ministries director, and at that time it meant everything but the Fresh Air Farm. So summer of 70 came along, I was working on the church staff, working with Felix and with the director of of, of children's work. I volunteered, helped with uh, staff orientation, and into the first session, Miss Martha got sick. And it became evident, you know, you can't call a temp service and say, we need a camp director for a month or two. (laughs) And... This was in the first few years of Scott McClure's years here. There was no one on the staff who knew what went on at the Fresh Air Farm except me. And at the time on the permanent staff, the church staff. And so my, my hope for a normal summer in 1970 did not come through since I was back at the Fresh Air Farm. It was, a, it was an interesting summer and it was certainly uh, one that uh, was a learning experience and a learning curve there. As I said before, I bridged that gap between Miss Martha, and it was years before I called her Miss Martha. She was Miss Robison to many of us. And, um, but between her and Felix Yarbrough. And as I said, I had worked with Felix. I left Birmingham in 71 and moved away, but I kept in touch with folks here. And it was interesting because um, Mid-70s, 76 probably, 75, 76, I got a phone call, not a phone call, a letter from Felix. Any of you who have enjoyed having letters from Felix, they were very special, very newsy, very chatty, brought me up to date with IPC friends, and then he kind of let it, he said, Miss Martha's announced her retirement, summer of 76, and he went on to tell me that he would be taking over that. He would be giving up the youth responsibilities and taking over the responsibilities of the fresh air farm. And he said he was going to you know, work together with Miss Martha that first summer and do it by himself. He said, the session had already approved a job description for an assistant director of community ministries. Think about it. And that was in 1976. And the job came about in 78, and I came back on the church staff. Working with the two of them, between the two of them, was certainly an experience that changed my life and has changed many others. Thinking back with Miss Martha, each summer she had an impact on three, at least 300 children because that, we had 100 children a session, as well as 35 plus staff. And some overlapped, some you know went on for a number of years, but she was a remarkable woman, And uh, even though there were times the staff thought they could plan a little (laughs) after-hours excursions, they were usually, uh, those plans most of the time had to be changed or postponed. Miss Martha was on the grounds no matter what time, and I will say this, I'm not sure she ever slept during the summertime. (laughs) One of the changes Felix Yarber made the first month he was there was he removed the single beds that were in the, tr- in, the, in the office which supposedly Miss Martha slipped on one of those but he didn't need to have those in there. So at this point I'm going to turn it over to Chris and let him pick it up.
0: A brief uh, thank you first of all for the chance to share history. Uh, it doesn't matter whose history It doesn't matter who's telling the story, doesn't matter what the organization is. History is history, it defines us as who we are, and as my father would say, it helps us remember from whence we come. Some of you heard him say that phrase. Uh, My take is from the the operational, behind the scenes part of this equation. Um, But I would say that the transition between Miss Martha and my father, there was sea change going on, not just in the world, but certainly at the farm and in the church. And there were two biggies. The first was the integration of the farm, Uh, a no-brainer. One of my father's crowning achievements was pulling that off. And on the outside, it appeared to go seamlessly. Uh, The fact of the matter is he had to stand up to some pretty powerful people, uh, including one man who said, I will gladly build a separate camp for the coloreds if you'll keep it integrated. You know what Felix Yarborough said. He politely pushed away from that table and said, it's not gonna work that way, end of story. Some remarkable things happened from that particular moment in time in the life of that man and the life of this church. Uh, The second big thing that was going on was a movement toward a more year-round operation of the farm. Even as late as the mid 70s, uh, the only place with heat on the campus was the caretaker's residence, and that was only built in the late 60s. Uh, when camp was over, it was basically padlocked. The caretaker was left to fend for himself for nine months. You came back in the spring, opened it up, did your thing, locked it up, and that was that. So, <clears throat> mid 70s, the new dining hall and clothing closet were built. Early 80s, the Perry Cottage meeting space renovation was done, and then early mid 80s, the new big house was built. And in its original configuration, the big house had 12 bedrooms, two bathrooms, a clinic with a separate holding area, a separate bath, an upstairs apartment for the summer program director or a weekend group leader during the year, staff lounge, offices, library, meeting space. So in less than 10 years, you went from a strictly summer only to a fully functioning year-round facility, which was the whole object. It allowed for, first and foremost, the expansion of the camp programming to do the weekend camps and the spring break camp for kids who had aged out of the summer program. And as an aside, Alicia Yarborough was a brilliant program director in every way, but her work with the spring break and weekend camps was outstanding and it was an absolute joy to support. After the camp programming was done, the church decided to allow other Presbyterian churches to come in, uh, presbytery and functions to come in. We charged only our direct operating cost, so it allowed groups with limited resource to have meaningful time and adequate space to meet in. To address that what do you have to do? Well you have 35 acres, 28 buildings, full-time staff of three, part-time staff of three more. Here you go. Uh, <clears throat> we had Twelve of the buildings were cabins that the children stayed in. Uh, I was going to back up. I worked a total of 28 summer camping seasons, 14 of those as a part-time counselor, maintenance guide, dishwasher, and 14 of those as full-time year-round director of operations, and that was a title that I held from 1988 until 2002. Uh, Of the twelve cabins, I personally put at least one roof on each one of those buildings. (laughs) One of those I roofed twice. I poured hundreds of yards of concrete and laid thousands of feet of stone sidewalk. Uh, The swimming pool, before it was renovated, had a concrete shell. And if you know anything about a concrete pool, they have to be painted every so often. So painting the pool every two or three years is one of those great tasks in the old hip pocket. Uh, It was a wonderful job because you went out there in the springtime and you found a concrete hole full of brackish, stinky water with dead animals floating in it and all kinds of unpleasant things. You scrubbed it out and got it clean. In later years, we had a pressure washer, which made it nicer. Before that, it was a broom and two hands and a bucket. But then the pool was ready to be painted. So one beautiful, sunny morning, you would take your ladder and your old clothes and your bucket full of that nice blue swimming pool paint and a roller and you'd have at it. Crawl down in the hole, go to the deep end and roll your way out. Next day you go back with your bucket with the black paint and the brush and you paint in the stripes and the depth markers and you let it sit. The next day you start filling the pool. Took a day and a half, 85,000 gallons of water. You go back a day and a half later and what was a stinky brown hole full of yucky water was a nice crystal clear blue welcoming thing that said, jump in me. <laughs> Very satisfying on the job scale. So in my 28 summer career, I think I painted that pool 10 times. Another great job, this is gonna sound terrible, We're weird, the yard work. But at that time, the property was a lush, landscaped suburban oasis, and we took great pride in caring for the landscape. One of the great jobs was mowing the ball field. The ball field right there by the swimming pool. Nice big flat surface. Get on the tractor, turn off your brain, and ride in circles. And it was beautiful. Our former caretaker, Gene Carter, said, man, I get my best thinking done up there. (laughs) And he was right. I got some of my best thinking done up there, too. Uh, Food service. You obviously had to feed everybody, uh, summer and you know, off-season. So menus had to be planned, food had to be bought, deliveries had to be arranged, cooks had to be hired, schedules made, equipment maintained, oh my gosh. Summertime, 130 meals a day, three times a day, seven days a week. It's not automatic. I think most of you know that one of the great things about the farm program was that everything was provided for the children. We used to say, all you have to do is show up. We provided the clothing that the children wore. So what does that mean? Laundry. Look, y'all, we had two washers and two dryers. And that's it. But they ran 12 hours a day, seven days a week, keeping the kids' clothes clean. Then the counselors could come after hours and wash their clothes. Y'all, those machines never broke down. (laughs) Go figure. Not today. Oh, no. Okay, so... We washed the clothes and stuff, but how about the sheets and towels and sleeping bags and blankets? Well, they had to be taken to the big laundry, the commercial laundry out in West End. Okay, that was twice a week. So I did a little math and 20, okay, I think I went to the laundry 350 times (laughs) over the course of that time. One year we had a terrible lice outbreak. We took every stitch of fabric we owned every piece of clothing, underwear, bathing suits, curtains, you name it. We stripped the camp clean, one pickup truck load at a time, with the homemade rails on the side, and we went out to the laundry, and we defeated the lice. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Speaking of hauling, we had to haul our own garbage. That was three times a week to the landfill. Okay, doing a little math, that's 500 trips to the dump. (laughs) Okay, a pickup truck load at a time. In the early years, the dump was down in Shannon, right there at the foot of the hill in Bluff Park. Five minutes down there, five minutes to unload that stinky mess, and five minutes to come back. Great. That closed. Where's the dump now? Mount Olive. (laughs) So our 15-minute round trip turned into an hour-and-a-half round trip. Things you have to do. There were great unpleasant things like unplugging toilets and sewer lines and shower drains and all that stuff. (laughs) And there was a big old fun stuff like inflating the earth ball. There's a picture of it in the recreation thing over there. The earth ball is like a six-foot-around playground ball that they played these awesome games with. Well, Alicia ordered it. It arrived. Oh, my God, we got to blow this thing up. (laughs) Well, let's just go down to the maintenance shop and fire up the air compressor and blow up the earth ball. What a great job that was made a homemade sprinkler thing to run through on those god-awful hot July afternoons, staff and children alike. So all of these behind the scenes, some unpleasant tasks, were always met, though, with the peals of laughter and joy after those tasks were executed. As soon as you got through cutting the ball field, there was a group of kids waiting to come play on it. When the earth ball got blown up and when the sprinkler thing came out, oh Lord, there's nothing better. It was a beautiful time. Some those were some of the best years of my life. <clears throat> I'm gonna close my remarks with a story that everybody up here can tell, and that's when to this day we are stopped and say, Didn't you work at the camp? They thought doing some math, man. It's been some years. Okay. Late 70s, I'm the gardener one summer. Each child had their own garden plot, and one of the first day of camp rituals was you came to get assigned your garden plot. I had a list, had tags made up, would ask each child their name. So the little hummingbird cabin, the little youngest girl's cabin, 8-year-old girls, about as big as my little finger, came to get their garden plots. Asked this young lady her name, and she spoke in a whisper. So I got down right in her face. I said, now tell me what was your name? She said, Terkesha Foy. And I said, well, Miss Foy, I'm so glad to meet you. This is your garden plot. I hope you enjoy taking care of it. Thank you. And that was that. Okay, fast forward 35 years. (laughs) And Kim and I are going to visit her father in the hospital at UAB after he had had heart surgery. I stepped onto that unit, and just in a minute, one of the nurses comes up and says, "Aren't you Mr. Chris from the camp?" And I said, "Well, yeah." Well, I glanced at her name tag, "Turkisha Foy!" <laughs> About cried. That, my friends, is the children's fresh air farm. That is outreach. That's why we do what we do. To God be the glory. Thank you all.
3: Um trying not to um, rehash things that have already been said. you, you you've already gathered that this is, this is, this is family. Um, for years the, the farm was a, was a family business. Um, not necessarily by design, that's just the way that it worked out. Um, as As a person who grew up in, in two main locations, there, there were two main, Uh, geographic spots to my lifetime until I went away to college the first time, and even after then when I came back. One of them was right there, uh, the house directly behind IPC where we grew up. That meant that I spent a lot of time in the church, not Sundays, It was there every Sunday, but I spent a lot of time because, uh, mainly, Helen did, did not necessarily want the children in the house all the time, <laughs> I understand that. Um, when she taught piano lessons after school every afternoon, and uh, I, have, I have this wonderful sister who's 10 years younger than me, uh, well, she was my responsibility. So we went socializing. <laughs> we spent a lot of time at the church. Most of that time, other than Sundays, I spent with the support staff of Independent Presbyterian Church. Some with the secretaries, but more often than not, it was with the cooks, the maids, the janitors. They were my family. They still are. Same thing happened at the farm. Um, We moved here in 1969. Dad started taking um, youth group up there to do volunteer work. Chris and I became slave labor for Felix at the Children's Fresh Air Farm (laughs) at the respective ages of five and eight. One of my earliest memories of the farm was, as Chris was saying, when when it was opened in the spring to get ready for summer, you had to clean all of those open air buildings. You had to remove all the pollen. And I had the job of crawling through the rafters of the original dining hall and (laughs) sweeping the pollen off the rafters. My friends in elementary school used to say, you're an idiot. I said, what are you talking about? I said, your mom and dad are using you for slave labor all the time. I was like, man, I get to do the coolest stuff. I get to crawl around and sweep pollen off the rafters in the dining hall. So I've been brainwashed. That's why I'm here today. (laughs) The farm was my second home. And in some ways, it continues to be that way. Alicia and I came up yesterday from Wetumpka. Uh, we, came a little, we came early to spend the evening with Mother before coming here today. And as we were driving up, we drove through the farm. Um, and I have to say, it's, it's a bittersweet drive. Because the farm looks fantastic. And it's obvious that there is life and ministry still happening there. But it does not look like the farm of our time. And I say that not as a judgment or a criticism, it's just a fact, it's not the place it was. It's not the place that I remember. So I wanted to take my couple of minutes to share with you the things that stand out most to me about the farm. Um, the, The first of those is that the farm was a place where people who didn't fit in with norms found a home. Now that was campers, But more often than not, that was staff, summer staff in particular. The oddballs from IPC, you laugh. There's a whole bunch of you sitting here in this room. I'm not (laughs) going to ask you to raise your hand. But I can think of several lifelong friends I have where we found connection at the farm. The farm was a place where life made sense. And as I shared in the brief bio that was put in the the publication material, the farm, in, in my entire lifetime, the farm above any other place is the place where I experienced the presence of God every single time I went through the gate. Now that might have been going up there because Gene Carter needed somebody to help him dig up the sewer line that was stopped up. I still felt the presence of God. Um, Some of you may know that my career prior to uh, ordained ministry was construction. I learned at least half of what I know about home repair and various things of construction from years spent as Gene Carter's helper. Gene retired as a maintenance man from U.S. Steel. He was the uh, maintenance person at the church and at the farm at the same time before moving out there full time. Gene was a colorful man from Michigan." And he never got rid of that accent at all. Chris had a pleasure to spend many more years with Gene than I did, but I learned so much from him. I learned from the cooks, Miss Hattie in particular. As I was telling Mom last night, Miss Hattie um, in her heyday, by her own admission, was uh, 400 plus pounds. And one day in the kitchen, when the cooks were talking about going out at night, going out to do a little dancing, I still remember Miss Hattie saying, oh, sugar, before I got big, I used to get all down in him." <laughs> I also remember being so very greedy that when she put a tray or a big baking sheet of fresh cinnamon rolls, oh, God, put them on the cooling rack, And I was working in the kitchen that summer. I reached in because I wanted the one from the middle. And I was on the opposite side of the rack from Miss Hattie, and I didn't see her on the other side. And I reached in to get that middle one, and she had a metal spatula, and she went pow! (laughs) I wasn't the privileged Yarborough kid like somebody we know. And Miss Hattie said, those are for the children. You get your hands out there. I learned incredibly valuable lessons at the farm. It was a place where privilege met poverty and everything got checked at the gate. It was a beautiful place. It was a place where I saw my father thrive in witness and ministry. It was a place where I saw my brother thrive in witness and ministry. It was a place where I met the woman that I call my wife. Yes, that one right there. She hasn't always been a Yarborough. I left the farm a number of times, like Dale said, you know, there were times when I thought, okay, my years at the farm are over, it's time for me to move on. I always came back for one reason or another. The last time I had spent a decade living in Decatur, I had a fabulous job. I was a foreman with a construction company doing copper work, and slate roofing, and all this really cool stuff that I absolutely adored. And that was the moment when God said, okay, you remember that conversation we've been having all these years about ministry? It's time. I was like, oh, no, 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 but it was. Well, that meant I had to go back and finish an undergraduate degree that I had, um, let's just say not paid a whole lot of attention to the first time around. <laughs> That also meant that I had to explain to my fiancé that that conversation about maybe ministry sometime later in my life, uh, that time was now. And I remember asking, I said, well, what do you think about this? And she said, I'm not the least bit excited about this. (laughs) But if that's what's supposed to happen, that's what's supposed to happen. So I did what every good (laughs) Alabama boy would do. I quit my job, I sold my house, I moved in and let my wife support me. (laughs) We lived in the house next door to the Children's Fresh Air Farm. And believe it or not, I went to work part-time for Independent Presbyterian Church under the supervision of Alicia Stanton, who would become Alicia Yarbrough. (laughs) And I was the part-time maintenance man and cook for people who came in to do outside uh, retreats. Again, the farm provided me with incredible, with just the most wonderful experiences. I will never forget walking from our house over to the kitchen to cook breakfast one morning, early morning, 5.30 in the morning, walking across the softball field. And as I got to the playground, there was a gentleman standing in the middle of the playground, just standing there. I didn't know who the group was that was there, and I introduced myself. And I said, well, sir, coffee will be ready in a minute. He said, I'll be down in a minute. I'm just standing here in all these trees. Okay, He said, no, 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 I'm from Oklahoma, we don't have trees. (laughs) He experienced uh, a side of God's creation just standing in the middle of the playground, surrounded by trees. It really is that simple. Two of the greatest gifts that the farm ever brought to me happen to be in this room right now. The first of those is... um, the next generation Miss Martha, whom I married. Mm -hmm. I was scared of Miss Martha. I'm scared of her, too. But. (laughs) And the second is our oldest daughter, Stanton, who is seated next to Kim, who was born at the Fresh Air Farm, whose first outing as a newborn was the silver tea. (laughs) Yeah, you can't get away from some stuff, folks. Thank you for being here today to celebrate um, an opportunity that has changed the life of my family and continues to do so. We thank you.